Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Apes, your local YA tipsy book podcast. Perfect. I did it. Good job. <laughs> Thank Amazing, you. considering how tired we both are. I know. I, I think it's because I'm so tired. I was like, okay, get this right on the first try. Focus. 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 <laughs> oh, God. Well, besides being tired, Julia, how are you doing tonight? What are you drinking? I'm doing well. I'm drinking a Paso Robles, a red wine blend. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I am doing well, which I already said. Um, <laughs> you can tell Again, tired, we are tired. <laughs> Just finished writing a paper, so mentally I am gone. <laughs> I have nothing going on in my head anymore. I am so excited this weekend to like just sit around and read a book. And do absolutely nothing. And get a flu shot. But <laughs> otherwise, And I'm hand out candy out. to maniacal children. Hand out candy to a ridiculous amount of kids. I'm so stressed about this, actually. Like, I literally was messaging my friend Nicole. And she was like, you sound very stressed about this candy situation. And I was like, I am. <laughs> I That's accurate. This outside of Vermont. <laughs> mm. This is a completely different playing field. So True. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I did some tennis today, so I'm also nice. like just physically tired, but that always makes me feel good. So me and me and the moms play tennis. Aw, fun! <laughs> Bringing the age range age range down by like twenty years. They need the balance. It's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do all the running for them. <laughs> there you go. It's fine. Uh, but otherwise, not a whole lot going on. I really spent, like, the entire last weekend working on the paper, yeah. read a lot about uh, Silicon Valley and uh, regional clustering for innovation. So, uh... Delicious. Please, feel free to ask me about that. <laughs> Actually, don't. Really don't ask me about You're that. You're like, I don't ever want to talk about again. this ever again. <laughs> I've had it. But how are you doing? And What's up with you? What are you drinking so, I'm also drinking a Paso Robles wine. <laughs> oh, we're matching. But a Syrah, not a red blend. Oh, well, we could have been matching. <laughs> the region was right. The region's matching. That's good enough. It's called Cat 2. And it has what looks like a cat tattoo as the, the label. Hence, Cat oh my God. I didn't name it. That's just what I had. It was my last bottle of wine. Um, I ordered more wine, so don't worry. I will not be wineless. They actually, they tried to deliver the wine today, uh, but I went to the office today for the first time since <laughs> July. The one day I got a delivery, and, and they were like, you need to sign for it. So UPS didn't leave the box. And that is the first time in the entire pandemic that UPS has not left the box. So... They're actually Incredible. going back to their normal standards of requiring signatures for wine. They haven't asked for that the last, like, four times I've ordered wine, which is wild to me. But, hmm. so I will hopefully be getting my wine tomorrow. I will not be working from the office tomorrow. I'll be working from home, so it's all good. Um, but, yeah, I went into the office for the first time today, which was invigorating but I am exhausted because (laughs) I kind of work New York hours and so I wanted to be in the office by 7 a.m pacific time which meant I had to leave my house at like 5 20 so I'm 
it's painful just listening to that (laughs) i know i am beat i got my coffee in the morning though that was really good i like went to my favorite little coffee shop by the office and uh had some quiet time in the morning to work on things so i still have a little bit more work i probably need to do tonight i need to finish my self-assessment for the year Ooh, fun that is exciting I'm mostly done with my accomplishments, which are just a bulleted list of everything I could remember that I worked on this year. Uh, so I need to finish that. And then for my areas for improvement, I'm just going to be like, I suck and want to be better. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. yes. Suck about specific things. So like, I suck at people management. And here is how I would like to be better at it. I suck at uh, time management, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been very good at, like, actually managing my tasks since becoming a parent. Like, I've definitely been way less productive since having all of this, and so I need to figure out how to get back to my normal levels of productivity. Um, so that's something I need to work on for next year. But other than that, I think I'm doing okay at work so we'll we'll see what happens uh skyla and i went and saw dune this last weekend uh so that was good that was fun timothy chalamet's he's a cutie pie hmm i heard that there's like four minutes of zendaya in it so my desire to see it has kind of gone down because i was like i feel like that was the big draw besides timothy whatever his last name is chalamet chalamet I don't know. Uh, that is accurate. Zendaya is uh, Zendaya is not really in it. It's mostly like this. Really, isn't sp- it? Doesn't spoil the plot. But Paul, who is Timothy Chalamet's character, and yes, they all have like famous Paul. <laughs> Oh my god. It's a sci-fi, but the whole world that, like, House Atreides, which is Paul's house, his name is Paul Atreides, um, the whole, like, planet and, like, culture that the House of Atreides is built on is, like, roughly Scottish-based. So, Paul. Um, and then there's this other guy, played by Jason Momoa, whose name is Duncan. Oh, my God. Yes, Jason Momoa plays a man named Duncan. I am so sorry, Jason Momoa. There's a whole better. scene There's a whole scene where they, like, get off their spaceships to, like, come to the new planet where Zendaya lives. And uh, the first person off the ship is the bagpipe player. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling you what was in the movie. What? I feel like I'm going to need a whole bottle of wine before I actually sit down and watch this. It was cinematically beautiful. And, like, I actually think watching it helped me track with, like, the world building that now I can actually go read Dune and probably understand what's going on. <laughs> All right. So that was helpful. I'll, I'll eventually read it and I'll let you know how I feel about it. But it's, I mean, it's definitely a sci-fi from, written by a white man in the 60s. So, like, checks out with what we're expecting of that. But, uh, yeah, Zendaya is definitely not in this movie that much unless it's Paul having a vision of her because he has the sight, 
I guess. Um, he's this, like, prophecy man-child who can do all of these extra things that normal men can't do that, like, only women are trained to do. So he has this very powerful sight and has all these visions about, like, what's to come and all these battles, blah, blah, blah. But he keeps picturing Zendaya, his character. I forgot her name already because it's definitely not something like Paul. (laughs) But she keeps picturing Zendaya. He keeps picturing Zendaya's character, like, just, like, looking forlornly like out at the sands or like turning in a white outfit she doesn't actually speak that much uh he's just like picturing her in his head and so that's the most that you see her during the movie until like the very very end where circumstances unfold and he meets up with her character um but it's setting her up to be in the second movie in a lot of capacity, and you need to watch the first movie to understand the second movie. Ah, uh, yep. Uh, because there's a lot of world building that happens in this first movie, which is what it's right. what most of the two and a half hour movie was world building. There was not a lot of action, but it was beautiful. So there's that. Um. So yeah. So we went and saw Dune this weekend, which was nice. We, she finished her paper on To Kill a Mockingbird. We had flooded streets because we finally got rain after, like, 200 days. I saw. Days. I was all oh. over social media. No rain. Um, I literally had to drive through, like, straight flooded roads to get to the movie theater. Wow. It was a little intense, but we made it. And, yeah, that's, that was about my week, pretty much. Saw Dune. Did work. Helped with school. Took Skylar to therapy. It's a lot of busy week. It's a busy week. Um but uh not not as intense or as busy as August and Kate's situation. Nor did we have as many intruders in our house as uh, they did. Yeah, thank God for that. <laughs> thank God for that. Though we will come Halloween. Lots of little kid intruders. Not nearly as scary as Sloane, but we will have some little kid intruders. Um, So the reason we're here today is to talk about (laughs) chapters 3 through 5 of verse 4 of this savage song by Victoria Schwab. Julia, do you want to give us a synopsis of these chapters? I do. Amazing. (laughs) Verse 4, chapter 3. Back to August's point of view, he's slowly losing his sense of self, losing himself to the sensations coursing through his body that he's trying to control. The pain has mostly faded, but he can feel his tallies burning into his skin. He barely is keeping track of time and sees Kate wandering in and out of the bathroom while he's still in the tub. He tells her to go, and she says she is going to stay and keep him from falling. He just tries to focus on keeping his body together and retaining consciousness. Kate sits on the edge of the tub. I said edge of the bed. (laughs) I want to be in my bed. (laughs) Uh, Kate sits on the edge of the tub and almost lights a cigarette, but thinks better of it. She turns the TV on and sees her face, realizing that the news is still telling Harker's side of the story, but they are airing Flynn and Emily after there has been unrest between the two sides. Kate thinks it's clever that Flynn is painting himself as a victim, but then she realizes he sort of is. She eventually turns the TV off and starts to send a message to Harker when she hears a noise. 
A car pulls up and a man starts calling for August and then Kate. Kate starts to move and trips and makes a noise, getting to the hall when the mur- man, mur- <laughs> man bursts into the house. <laughs> August hears a noise from the bathroom and realizes Kate is pounding on the door, calling for him. Back to Kate, the man breaks in and tackles her, but she wrestles a gun away and points it at him. She realizes, based on the, his burnt-off scar, that he is one of Sloane's men. He tries to convince her Harker sent her, but she doesn't buy it. Send another him. car. Whoops. <laughs> Send him, but she doesn't buy it. When another car is heard in the gravel, uh, the man jumps for Kate, but she shoots him through the neck. She Uh-oh. was hoping to take a. She was hoping to take a human life. Uh, taking a human life would feel like taking a monster's, but it doesn't feel like it at all. August stumbles out into the room, clearly hungry, and asks what she has done. The stress. Verse 4, chapter 4. <laughs> August starts to feel the room bend around him, seeing the new shadows around Kate and the red pulsing beneath her skin. Killing the man has made her a sinner. He tries to back away, but part of him wants to get closer and get her soul to cure his hunger. He tells her to run, and she finally listens. She gets outside, and Sloane is getting out of the second car along with another Malkai. He tells her Harker sent him to get her, and she doesn't believe him. She asks if he sent the monsters to kill her, and he basically agrees, and then she realizes that her dad must have lied to her instead. She shoots the other Malkai in the shoulder, but before she can get there, Sloane grabs her gun, her gun and asks why she's playing this game again and why she thinks she could ever turn Harker against him. She manages to stab him with the switchblade in her lighter, but then he punches her. He tells her the city doesn't belong to either of the Harkers, and it will belong to him when the monsters rise up. He tortures her a little, but instead of killing her, he knocks her unconscious. Flipping back to August, he's trying to get to his violin, but can't. The Malkai ends up grabbing the violin and kicking August as well as stepping on his wrist, pain that feels intrinsically human to him given how weak he is. He tries to play, but the Malkai shatters the violin against August's head. Chapter 5. Jesus. August, August comes back to consciousness, but it isn't dark yet. He is chained up with iron, which is irritating his wrists, and is kneeling in a warehouse. He doesn't know where he is or where Kate is. He hears a tapping sound, and then a mall guy that almost looks human comes forward, dragging a broken metal bar. A machine drags the chain up, so August is up to his feet in a lot of pain. Sloan introduces himself and asks when he, was, when he last fed, and then August realizes his mouth is sealed shut and he cannot speak. Sloan reminds him he knows things about the Sunai and is learning even more from Ilsa and Leo. He then notices August is bleeding from the gun wound and whacks him in the stomach with a metal rod. Knowing in his current hunger state, he can feel extra pain. Sloan says when Sunai are hungry, that is when they're closest to human, but not enough to be killed. He then tells August he wants him to go dark. Sloan has a theory that if Sunai are at their most powerful, their dark form... That is also when they are at their most vulnerable, which he proved earlier with Ilsa, which makes August feel sick. Back to Kate, and she is in pitch blackness. She tries to get a sense of her surroundings and realizes she is handcuffed to some scaffolding, which won't give. She tries to move the cuffs around the pole 
to see if there is a place to unhook them, but cannot find a way out. She stops and listens and hears Sloane laughing and August grunting in pain. She feels around again and realizes the screws are a little loose, so she's going to try and lose the plates, loosen the plates and sneak her hands out. She can't get it with her hands, but uses her necklace as a sort of screwdriver and is able to start loosening them. She hears more torture and just whispers to August that he needs to hold on while she hurries. A lot going ah! on Did you have a hard time stopping? I did. I really did. And, like, all three of these chapters kind of just blur together because it's just nonstop action sequences. It's, like, aside from the jump to the warehouse, it's, like, it all just happens consecutively. Mm -hmm. So I don't even, like, remember when I was reading this where three ended and four began. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one downside of, like, having to write the synopsis, like, as I'm going and talking about the chapters um like it was so hard I was like I don't want to put it down I want to keep reading but I'd have to like put it down and like type two sentences oh oh my god um so (laughs) that's that's fun yeah it's I mean it's totally fair that you know it's impossible to kind of tell like where the chapters end and begin we'll do our best to parse it out but it doesn't need to be perfect. I think these are the kind of chapters where it's really easy to just kind of have a, a really um, sort of like natural discussion and we'll see where it takes us. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So chapter four and chapter, I'm sorry, chapter three and chapter four, <laughs> like, and chapter five. Honestly, all the chapters. The way she starts with August and like just the descriptions that Schwab gives us about like what's going on in August's head I know we talked about this I think in the last episode that you were like why haven't we gotten August's perspective in a really long time and oh boy August's perspective came back this week and it came back with a vengeance that I love yep like so good I was in pain, though, but yes. Oh, it's so much pain. I was, mm, it's, he's struggling. Like, he's clearly struggling. It hurts my heart to see him struggle, um, but I've been missing the pros that we get when we're in August perspective, because we've just been hearing from Kate too much, and I, I love Kate as a character, but she's so cut and dry, and August is just rich and almost floral in the language. Now, they can be black dahlias. They're not always beautiful flowers, but, like, ooh, it's just so good. I really like it. And, I mean, even though he's, like, clearly struggling, especially in, you know, Chapter 3, um, his struggle is, like, beautiful in a way, just the way that she describes it. So it's still a pleasure to read, even if it's causing us pain. Like, it, it balances that line of pleasure and pain really really well because you're excited to be reading something that's so well written but then you're like oh this is so well written and it hurts (laughs) well it almost feels like she wanted that balance of like being able to write the action while also having a chance to still keep in that like very descriptive illustrative sort Mm -hmm. of writing style that she seems to love so she found that with like Kate being the action and yeah. August being that very descriptive way yeah. of writing. So. And so it's nice to, with these 
action scenes that she's flipping back and forth between the perspectives mm-hmm. again because we've just been getting pure action for so many chapters now that it's nice to have a little bit more balance. Like, these yeah. chapters felt a lot better balanced than I think the last couple of chapters that we've read. Um, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know about you, but in chapter three, I, the when Kate's, like, in the bathroom and is, like, trying to figure out how she can get through to August and, like, help him fight his hunger, she's like, I'm gonna fix him and, like, make this better. It just, it felt like the most classic YA of all YA tropes where the monster is about to lose it, but the girl's like, I'll pull him back from the edge. <laughs> you can't hurt me, she cut in. Not as long as you're you, right? I'm So I'm going to stay. It's really true, though. <laughs> it's so YA. And I was like, I need I need Schwab to subvert this. This doesn't feel right for her. No, uh, nope. Abort, abort. <laughs> I don't really think we got too much subversion. We just kind of got, like, redirection in a way. Like, yeah. Which, I mean, but it is YA. It's not adult. So it's okay that there isn't subversion because I think having subversion is a literary technique is a lot for a YA book that's not, like, normal for this, um, age group. It's normally something we see in adult literature a lot more, but because she's an adult writer, I was hoping we'd get a little bit of it, and I'm, I'm a little yeah. bummed that we didn't, but that's okay. You know, I, it's not that I hate classic YA. It was just a little disappointing. Uh, and I don't know if you picked up on this, and if I just missed something earlier, but have we known all along that Emily is black? Uh, I don't think so, no. Because she describes Har- or Flynn and Emily, like, on the TV, and she says a his dark-skinned, dark-skinned woman. Yeah. woman. And I was like, wait a second. What? Well, it's the sort of thing that I feel like especially for white authors in particular, like, it's hard to, like, find a way, I think, for them to bring in um, any, like, racial kind of Mm -hmm. features um, without making it sound like they're, like, just kind of grabbing, trying to, like, get... Diversity points. Exactly. Like, it's... So I think the way she did it was good even though like we are being like it's like we're almost done with the book and she's like by the way (laughs) well but but we've barely gotten any emily in this book anyways like she's like a i wouldn't even say a secondary character she's a tertiary character yeah she is so it's kind of like oh it would have been nice if you're going it's it's a hard balance right because it's like it would have been nice if you're going to have the one black character, like, maybe have her be more of a fleshed-out character than just a pleasant mom figure who packs the lunches and, like, eats the extra bite and, like, oh, isn't she so sweet? Which is fine. Like, it's great for her to be sweet, but, like, can we have more depth? And we learn a little bit about her from August that, you know, like, she's from another district, I guess. I forgot what the terms are for this book already. But, like, she's from another <laughs> another county area and got (laughs) stuck here and it's like yeah okay what are we gonna do with all this information we have about emily so 
I don't recall, I don't think there's a lot more of her left in this book, but I'm wondering if we'll maybe get a little bit more fleshed out characterization in the second book, that like, oh, this is actual diversity of character and not just a, I'm going to get a brownie point because one of my characters is black, look. Mm -hmm. Also, hopefully she doesn't die because that would be real bad. Yeah. I feel like the Flynn's have to have some sort of a bigger role because they still have, as far as we know, mm-hmm. a, some control over their territory yeah. versus Harker clearly has lost control considering Sloane is like, by the way, I'm taking over the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's his right-hand man right there and his right-hand man has clearly... Right. Well, I mean, there's a whole nother book and a whole nother fight. Like, we don't... We're not going to get the big showdown in this book. We don't have enough time mm-hmm. left to get yeah. a big showdown in this book. Unless um, it's a big cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, silence says a lot. <laughs> I, I don't, like, I don't know how to say, like, yes or no to that without yeah. it being a spoiler. So yeah. I'm just staying silent. <laughs> staying silent, okay. Uh, Fair enough. But, I don't recall there being, like, a huge, big, uproarious battle between the two mm-hmm. sides in this book. I, that's that's still to come in the second book, if that is going to happen. Um, so, and I haven't read the second book, so I don't actually know what that's going to look like. I don't actually know what the Flins do in, in the second book. This is, the, I think, the first time we've done this where one of us hasn't read the entire book series. <laughs> But I'll read it when we do it for the podcast. It's fine. We'll be discovering it together. <laughs> Won't that be fun? True. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I don't know. I It felt a little, like, random in the way that it was thrown in. It's like, and the black-skinned woman standing next to him. And I'm just like, or dark-skinned woman standing next to him. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh. We're getting okay. character. Normally we get character now. descriptions at the beginning of yeah. the book. We're getting exactly. it. Exactly. Now, and I guess it makes sense, right, because the only other times we've seen Emily are from August's perspective, and he's a monster, so he probably doesn't even, like, think or notice that kind of stuff to, like, describe the people around him in racial terms. It's just, like, she's really nice to me, and she ate a bite of my apple. Thanks, Mom! And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It's just, it's interesting. I don't know. In general, like, that's kind of my point earlier, I think, is, like, it feels awkward sometimes at the very beginning of a book when you have a character who's yeah. like kind of talking about their parents or some people that they know, like, to, like, talk about their appearance. Like, I get right. why it's in there, but, like, it just sounds weird. Like, it's not a natural – not that anything in a book is natural, but, like, it, it doesn't – it's, like, very weird to me to read it sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of books that I've read recently um, that had – predominantly black characters and like how they talked about each other but like it wasn't a lot of character description of like other characters Mm. you just kind of got the sense like you figured it out or there was like cover art so you kind of knew what was going on with the characters but even still sometimes they'd be like you know her 
ebony skin glistened extra well this morning or whatever. Like, you could clearly tell her skin cream was working. And even though we had all of this trauma yesterday, like, it didn't affect her. And she looked like she slept really well. And so you can fit descriptions in that way. Um, And they still feel pretty natural. But it just kind of depends on the author and the style and the structure. And Schwab is not, at least from, again, everything I've read from her, she's not known for doing a lot of diversity of uh color let's say Mm -hmm. she's she's queer so like you do get diversity of sort of like sexual orientation and gender which is really interesting um but you don't get a lot of diversity of color which you know safe bet right about what you know i think that that makes sense exactly i would rather have authors write about what they know than try to force it on people because Agreed. especially if they don't know how like a to- certain like culture works yeah. it's gonna be awful don't do that to yourself Sarah <laughs> J <Jay> moss <clears throat> <laughs> sorry i had something stuck in my throat <laughs> i didn't hear anything i'm so sorry <laughs> she makes me so angry Oh, God. Um, I, Jesus, I, like, I feel so bad for Kate in Chapter 3. Like, she's been trying so hard to just, like, keep pushing through, keep pushing through, like, just get to the next stage, get to the next step. Um, I almost, this is kind of a pop culture reference, but it's not one I've written on the list, but, like, I can almost imagine her, like, through all of this fleeing and, like, planning and everything that she needs to do like getting to the gas station and then getting away from the gas station and getting to the house and getting august okay i can almost hear her singing that song from frozen 2 that anna sings when like she thinks elsa has died and it's do the next right thing like just put one foot in front of the other like let's just keep moving forward even though it hurts so bad right now but i can't think about that i got stuff to do i got more important stuff to focus on or um, the classic uh, claymation, the world without a Santa Claus, or whatever it's called, where it's like the he meets with the Yeti, and it's like put one foot in front of the other. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> well, this is awkward. Okay. Have you ever watched the classic Christmas claymations? I have, but I do not remember that. It's, I haven't uh, watched them in years. It's the one that's about, like, the foundation of Kris Kringle. So there's this, it's kind of like Footloose, but claymation. So there's this mayor who's like, no toys in my town. And then Kris Kringle's like, I'm going to bring toys to these kids anyways. And then, like, gets in trouble. Um, and it's this whole thing. But it's about how he becomes Santa Claus and meets his Mrs. Claus and, like, all of this stuff. And he meets I think this- I remember that. He meets a Yeti. The abominable snowman. In yeah, the... I remember that, but I don't remember this song. And there's a song about just putting one foot in front of the other. And soon, you'll be walking across the floor. Put one foot in front of the other. And soon, you'll be walking out the door. So soon, Kate will be delivering gifts to Sloan and August. No! I just, like, like, she's just, like, so focused on the next step. It's like, okay, get the one foot in front of the other. Like, I'm just going, I'm just going, I'm just going. And then, of course, she can't get a second to breathe. You know, admire the door jam. 
No, mystery strangers track her down, and she's forced to kill someone. And, like, I'm proud of her for defending herself. That's really all she could have done in this situation. There's literally nothing else she could have done in this situation. Um, but I thought it was really interesting and compelling and, again, like, makes me realize that she is inherently a good person. That she's been rationalizing all of these murders that she's been doing about, um, it being monsters. Like, she's been able to rationalize how she feels about murder when it's monsters. It's, like, almost like this, like, exhilaration because she knows she's doing the right thing. She's making the world a better place by killing these monsters that are trying to destroy humanity. But then she fully recognizes, oh, shit, I just killed a human. This is not good. This does not feel good. I'm not happy with this choice and decision that I made. Um, and, like, once she sees that red blood you know, it's like a trigger. She's like, oh shit, what did I do? So I thought that that was like really interesting to watch. And I also thought it was actually maybe not the perfect metaphor, but I do think that Schwab tries to talk about really complex topics through the metaphors of the monsters and like how things apply here. And I think there's a really interesting lesson to be learned about unconscious bias with Kate here where if we think of the monsters as an othered group instead of as you know literally subhuman which is how some people have seen certain races in in the history of the world you know it's interesting to see that she's like oh i killed a monster that feels great i have no qualms about that but then I kill a human and that doesn't feel good and, like, something feels icky and wrong about this. And that's unconscious bias that's now starting to come out and, like, how she views monsters versus how she views humans. And I think it's a really interesting lesson in, like, psychology and, like, what we can learn about unconscious bias in ourselves. Not to the level of murder. Hopefully nobody's murdering anybody. But, like, recognizing those little ticks in ourselves that it's like we can do one thing to one person and one thing to another person and we may feel a lot worse doing it to someone who looks like us versus someone who doesn't and like recognizing those things in ourselves the way that Kate's now having to start grappling with this I just I don't know maybe I'm completely missing the mark there but I just thought it was a really interesting metaphor potentially not an intentional Mm -hmm. one but yeah it's also interesting too that with August's kind of vision of like who's a sinner and who's not that this guy was not a sinner and then she but like his intentions were bad mm-hmm. um and so she defends herself but now she is marked as a sinner because she mm-hmm. killed this guy in her defense yeah uh, and she immediately regrets it which again like how do you repent for these sins like there has to be a way to repent right but you would hope. I don't know. But we haven't seen anyone repent with a Sunai. Nope. Ugh. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, also the ten. I will say, like, I think every chapter that we've read this week ends with such good tension. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, any one of these would have been a shitty place to cut off. 
Oh, yeah. I <gasps> agree. And now we cut off at chapter five where, like, August is getting beat up and Kate's on her way to try and save him. How on earth she expects to do that? I don't know. But I prefer getting cut off there than Kate immediately having just murdered a person and August being, like, True. hungry. What have you done? I'd be like, oh, nope, I need to keep reading. Yeah, I know. True. <laughs> that is true. Did you have anything else for, for chapter three? For chapter three, I did not know. All right. Um, chapter four. I don't think anything in particular, but it's just like, the moment that August lost his violin, my heart shattered. Oh, that, like, no! It's really, like, a part of him. Like, it's, like, for him losing an arm or a leg. Like, that. so this is my question now. It's, like, how on earth does he, like, I guess he just can't subdue anyone. So he just, like, what, feeds off of people while they're, like, screaming? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't understand. And I'm a little bit worried for him, but... I guess, like, he'll get a new violin at some point, I would assume. I don't know. I don't know how this works. I have a lot of questions about how the scene I work, as it does Sloane, clearly. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> August needs some food, though. He does. Poor That's, like, I mean, I'm getting into chapter five, but, like, I I don't I I know we have like no answers right now about how the Sunai kind of like survive, I guess, these sort mm-hmm. of situations where they're like dying of hunger. Like I like, understand now that they from what Sloan is saying, like they go dark. Um But like here's my thing. With the whole Sloan thing, and he wants him to go dark. First of all, I don't believe that Elsa is, like, dead. I mean, maybe I'm, like, holding on to something that's... I, I don't hopeless, remember. But... I can't remember if Sloane is full of okay. shit or not in that moment. And it's, I feel like it he has to be. Me out. Because he's making it sound like he is testing on August because mm-hmm. he wants him to go dark. Like, can he kill the Sunai when the Sunai is going dark? Because I, that's his moment of weakness. Mm-hmm. If that had happened with Ilsa, my assumption would be that Ilsa would then be dead and he would have his answer but like to me it sounds like he doesn't have his answer yet so Ilsa can't be dead right I don't know logical logical point oh my god you've been hanging out with Ravenclaws too much (laughs) look at you (laughs) Uh, I don't know Uh, anyway but my so the other thing with this is like Sloane wants him to go dark. Would that not hurt Sloane if he's in the vicinity of him going dark? I don't know, because all we've ever heard about going dark is that it kind of, like, neutralizes everyone, good or bad, but that seems to insinuate humans. So I don't know if that also means monsters would get hurt. By them going dark. I feel like they would have to. But maybe I'd not. feel like that too, but like it's not clear at this point. So Sloane mm. maybe isn't scared of that 
And he also, he might have been around Leo when Leo's been dark. And so maybe he's not concerned about it because of that. Um, But wait, no, okay, hold on. Go back to chapter four. (laughs) Hold on. Harker, let's talk about this for a second. Harker told Sloane where the kids are. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. To be quite honest. Okay, so that's what I wanted to check with you on. Like, do you think, do you truly believe that he's behind all of this and that he has betrayed Kate? Or do you think that it's kind of like... I think he's being manipulated. You think he's being manipulated by Sloan? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think think he's pulling the strings at all. I don't think he is. I mean, I would not be surprised if in scenario A... Sloane has him tied up somewhere and threatening him and, like, Mm -hmm. telling him he's going to murder her if he doesn't, if Parker doesn't tell him the whereabouts of Kate and August. Or scenario B is that Parker is fully convinced that Sloane is on his side and, like, the people are getting restless and monsters are getting restless. Like, let me just go out and get your daughter for you so that you don't have to worry about it and you can focus on the unrest here. Um, I don't know. Can I present a scenario C for consideration? Yes. Harker doesn't care about his daughter and actually would prefer to not have to deal with her, but also doesn't recognize that Sloane's trying to go for a power grab. Yeah, that could 100% be it. Again, I don't remember what happens, but that's kind of where I'm sitting. I'm, like, the worst as the subject matter expert for this book in this iteration, because I literally read this book so fast, I cannot remember basic plot points of it, Uh, which is also um, heightened by the fact that I I have surpassed 100 books that I have read in 2021 so far. Yeah, so it's... You're getting it muddled. Plots don't <laughs> exist in my brain anymore. <laughs> like, I read this last year knowing hell I remember it. I'm trying, though. But I... Scenario C is where I'm sitting at right now. That it's a combination of Harker being manipulated, but also Harker being a shitty dad. Yeah. Which is sad. Like, oh, I was rooting for him. Not as much we're as I root all for Maddie. for him. <laughs> I know. We were all, we were all rooting for you. you. Great pop culture <laughs> reference. It's from uh, America's Next Top Model for those young children who have not ever seen the OG Tyra Banks. Not hosting Dancing with the Stars, but like OG Tyra. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I would like to point out, obviously, I, in any of these situations, Harker is a shitty dad, but he's not nearly, like, I just, you kept comparing him to Maddox, and he's not nearly as bad as Maddox, in my mind. Yeah, uh, we could talk about this at the end of the, uh, the book. <laughs> I just, Maddox clearly cares about his daughter. It's just. You will defend him to the ends of the earth, won't you? 
the we queen still of have selfies. another book. You the know what? No, of... we're gonna talk about this when we finish the third book in in the Cruel Prince trilogy. <laughs> the Queen of Nothing's gonna destroy me, isn't it? It is. Yeah, Shit. It is. God, I just went through the burning god. God damn it. <laughs> it's it's not as bad as that, but uh yeah. No, well, I think the good thing about the Burning God, I know this is a diatribe, but uh, I think the good thing about the Burning God is by the time I got to all the really, really sad parts, I was so numb because of all of the insanity of, like, the first two-thirds of the book that the last third just didn't hurt as bad as it probably could have if I had been fully able to feel feelings. Oh, okay. <laughs> that bodes well. Does it? There's a reason I had to go binge read, like, four romance novels after finishing that book. I was in distress. Yeah, fair I was numb to feeling I needed to remember how to feel positive emotions again. Oh my god. What are we gonna do when Babel comes out? Duff! Or Yellowface. <laughs> oh god, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Rebecca Kwong's been busy. <laughs> She has been. Good for her. I'm so proud. Yep. She's our little baby growing up, even though we don't yeah. know her. But she's younger yep. than us, so we can say <laughs> She is five on her way to being published books, and she's younger than us. What do we have for ourselves? This we podcast. We enjoy her books. That's what we, we have. And we have this podcast. And we have this podcast. Broadcasting to my uncle and maybe a couple friends over in California. <laughs> Love that. Uh, yeah, email us, guys, if you're listening. We're curious. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. Uh, I don't think there was anything else I had for chapter four. I just really wanted to make sure that we dissected Harker's actions a little bit. Yeah. So I think we just did that to death. Um, chapter five. Again, I know I kind of mentioned this for chapter three, but, like, Schwab kills her chapter openings. I know. She kills her cliffhangers, and she kills her chapter openings. It's so good. And there was something about, like, this chapter in particular. Hold on, I'm going to get the, get the passage. But, like, she started chapter five with a literal poem. Mm-hmm. Um... Which I just, I don't know. I'm not a big poetry person, as as you know, but I really liked this. I thought it fit so well, and it didn't, it was a poem, but it didn't really feel super poemy. Like, it felt good for someone, like, waking up and trying to come back to consciousness. This is what she says. The world came back in pieces, concrete beneath his knees, iron around his wrists, a shifting pool of light, a metallic tap, tap, tap. The echo of large, empty spaces. Like, they're just normal words, but damn, together they all sound so good. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm biased. I love her chapter openings. They're good. They're good. They set the scene up well and give you a sense of the kind of, like, dread that he is about to uh, feel. Yeah. So... Yeah, though I don't like, it's like, great, yeah, we get this cool poem, and then immediately we get 
a transition into watching August get tortured by Sloan. And I'm like, I don't need this. I don't, I don't need it. I'm okay. It's so sad. I don't want it. Hard pass on the torture scenes. Especially for our little baby child, August, who's just so vulnerable and sweet. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Leo, based on the information we get from Sloane here. So, it makes sense based on August's, like, understanding of what Leo's saying and, like, or, sorry, what Sloane is saying about Leo and, like, what he's talking Mm -hmm. about going dark, that that's how Leo got his scar, because August was really confused, like, how Leo was ever scarred in the first place, because Sue and I are indestructible, basically. Uh, so, I'm curious, then, why Leo takes such a risk Knowing that he got a scar while dark, why he takes such a risk in going dark all of the time? If that's when he could potentially be actually injured, is he just that reckless? I does he like have a death be, wish? There has to be some sort of like a high, maybe, or something that comes along with going dark where he like feels good or something. I don't know because it's probably like giving mm-hmm. in to what should be their natural instinct is to just the basis desires yeah yeah that would be my assumption at least i i think that's a fair assumption um i just thought it was really interesting that it's like you know this is the one person we have confirmed that has been injured mm-hmm. while being dark or the one sunai not yeah you know what i mean but um and he's also the one that does it the most. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. And I, we've definitely talked about this in past episodes that something about going dark for Leo and, like, also, like, feeding is, like, chasing a high. That it, nothing else is ever yeah. going to be as good. And August doesn't like that feeling of being out of control, which is why he doesn't chase it in the way Leo does, even though Leo tries to convince him constantly. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. It's so reckless. Yeah, it is. It so, is. So, so reckless. Um, I, <laughs> this necklace, man. I, like, had to go back and reread that passage because I was like, what is going on with the necklace? She's definitely using it as a screwdriver, right? Uh, yes, she is. <laughs> what? I know, that's what I said. I was like, what? I'm sorry, when do necklaces become Swiss Army knives? Like, what? Where can I get one of these necklaces? It makes me think about, like, what these pendants, because I almost pictured the necklaces being, like, thick, almost like a heart yeah. kind yeah. of a thing, like a thick locket, kind of, but, like, yeah. a bigger pendant than a normal locket. But I guess it's just, like, like a flat sheet. It has to be, because otherwise, how would it... I mean, it could be... It could just have a very sharp edge that you can kind of get into certain... I don't, I don't know. I or maybe it's screws, still kind like, of, like, heart-shaped with, like, the H in the middle, whatever it is. But then the bottom uh, is also a Phillips head. Who knows? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Do they have Phillips heads in this dystopian future? The important questions. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just felt suspicious and weird that she's, like, able to use this necklace as a screwdriver. It, like, it's ah. very... There's a couple places in here where I feel like 
Victoria Schwab gets kind of lazy and just like chooses convenience, which like that's fine. But like then we're like, whoa, what what is this? But I also think it's important that we're calling attention to the necklace again. And we don't yeah, call attention to things unless they're important. And Harker gave her this necklace. And Harker has been sketchy. So, like, the cell phone GPS is turned off. But is there a tracker in the necklace? Hmm. Very good. Good point. There might be. Again. Maybe it's... I don't It could be an implant. There could be a GPS device implanted in her for all that we know. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God. No, not the Hunger Games. No. (laughs) I don't know. You don't know. (laughs) No, thank you. Hard pass on that. Uh, I don't know. And then this chapter, again, felt very, like, generic. With, like, ah, torture, torture, torture. Generic action sequences. Torture. Oh, we need to figure out how to save the person being tortured. Like, all right. I, okay. Over it. I also just don't understand why Sloane just doesn't kill her. Like, he even outright says, like, even your mother knew how to die. And then doesn't kill her. Like, at this point, if he has Harker wrapped around his finger, he could just say, like, oh, I moved Kate to a safe house. Like, don't worry about it. We got this under control. So, and then, like, kills her so that he doesn't have to worry about her and can just focus on August and whatever task he wants to do world domination whatever but what's the easier way to get world domination to kill the girl yourself or to have a flynn sunai kill the sinner daughter of harker then you don't even have to lie to the media because remember yeah. that it's hard the monsters can't lie they all have to tell the truth and that includes sloan but he could just say that he that August killed her without even having to like show it, you know. No well, he doesn't around. have to show it, but like she, he would have to kill her for Sloane to be able to say August killed her. Like he can't lie. Um, he has the same problem mm. that that yeah. the soon I have. They have True. to tell the truth. That's why she believed her dad when her dad said Sloane told me that he had nothing to do with the monster attacks. And then this whole situation in Chapter 4 is she realized her dad is the one that lied to her. Harker, or Sloane must have told Harker the truth. And Harker backstabbed his own daughter. So, or which, half-truth. We don't know. It's it's hard to tell, and it's not very clear, and she doesn't make it very clear on purpose. Um, but as of this point, that's what Kate believes, right? That her dad lied mm-hmm. to her. But she knows that Sloane can't lie. And... She knows that August can't lie. So unless August is the one that is actually going to kill her, they can't say that August killed her. Point blank. True. Um, so maybe that's an easier way to assert power than having to do the dirty work yourself and then not be able to have all the infighting that would cause those problems. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, that's all I had for for general commentary. Should we get into pop culture? Yes. It's gonna <laughs> be rough for three. It's and gonna four. be rough this yeah. week. <laughs> um. Okay. So you want me to do mine for three and four? Yes. 
Okay. So, um, at the beginning, before we get into all of the, the breaking into the house stuff, where, I, I, kind of going back to the point about generic YA, <laughs> um, Kate being like, I'll stay by you. You won't hurt me. It'll be okay. Just reminded me so much of Elena and Stefan when Stefan is like under compulsion by Klaus and has to turn his humanity off, like all of this stuff. And Elena is just like, I love you, Stefan, and I'll stand by you. <laughs> what? And he's like, go the fuck away. And she's like, no. Uh, so it kind of reminded me of that um and then I don't know what it is about chapter three like I couldn't quite put my finger on it in this chapter what was specifically triggering this for me but it definitely felt tangentially related like Kate in this chapter having to take care of like delirious August and like not really understanding what's wrong with him but she's just like I'm just gonna push through and be here for him yay uh reminded me a lot of Lyra and Will from his dark materials after he gets his finger chopped off with the knife and has to become the knife bearer but he's like delirious with the pain and the infection of like losing his finger and Lyra's like I'll protect you I don't know what that means, but I'm going to do it. Like, that, that, they reminded me of the two of them in this chapter. And then, uh, like, Kate, kind of going back to what I was talking about with the Hunger Games, Kate sort of really feeling that first human death and realizing that it's different from other kinds of deaths that she's caused reminded me of Katniss and, like, how Katniss feels after killing the first human that she kills in the Hunger Games. Um, because you reckon it's not like hunting a deer, even though Gail says it will be that way. It doesn't feel like that to her. She struggles with it. Um, she doesn't feel good about killing other humans. And she can tell the difference when she's, like, forced into that situation in the same way that Kate can. So I thought a lot of similarities in the way that they sort of, like, processed the feelings there. So that's what I had for chapter three. Chapter four. Um, a lot of this stuff with August, like, talking about his hunger, watching Kate, basically, where he, like, tells her to run. Everything he's, like, processing in his emotions is exactly what I wanted Midnight Sun to be. And Schwab, like, gets it. She gets how to describe the hunger in August and this warring desire that he's having to, like, protect Kate but feeling compelled to, like, chase her down. Um, But none of it's creepy or, like, weirdly sexual or, you know, like, awkward in the way that it kind of is in Midnight Sun where Edward's also having to, like, fight his attraction to Bella, but his attraction is because of his bloodlust. So, like, it's just creepy in Midnight Sun Mm -hmm. but here it doesn't feel creepy it's wrong and it's concerning but it's not creepy um so I wish this had been how Midnight Sun was written (laughs) uh and then the the action sequence with like Sloane and him standing over her like holding the wrist and like just kind of like lording over her was vaguely reminiscent to me of The Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth. 
Um, which is funny because the the girl who's like wrist is being held, who's being like subjugated, um, her name is Sloane. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is funny, but so she's a good character, and she's, like, the old, everyone else has, like, given up or doesn't know that something's wrong, and she's the only one, like, really rebelling against this, like, dark lord in the realm that she's in, um, and that person is, like, can put her in some sticky situations and, like, lords over her in certain places, but she keeps trying to fight, keeps trying to fight, keeps trying to fight with the person that, like, the Dark Lord has been targeting their entire time and trying to get rid of. And so there was, like, something reminiscent just to the very specific action sequence of, like, him standing over her and trying to, like, terrify Kate reminded me a lot of how the Dark Lord did that, too, to female Sloane in The Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth. Though I, I prefer these books to that one. It was fine. I don't recommend it. But that's all I have for chapter four. It was a short chapter. What did you have for chapter five? I had, ugh, these were so minor. Um, when they're in the warehouse, well, August wakes up in the warehouse. For some reason, my mind immediately went to Chloe Gong's These Violent Delights because the major kind of final scene happens in a warehouse. Which I'm yes! But um, stuff goes down, similar to a... Uh, to this although no one really gets tortured everyone just kind of exchanges words and then something happens um but yeah you need to reread it i need to reread it before i get my pre-order copy you do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then the other one that i had was when kate is hearing august screams um very much remind me of uh harry potter and the deathly hells where everyone can hear Hermione screams especially the movie Emma Watson's portrayal of that was so terrifying it was I wrote that down too that's exactly where my brain went in the exact same moment I was like yup Hermione getting tortured with the Cruciatus curse Harry and Ron being a mess like accordingly um yeah I think that was all I had what about you okay um, so the, like, casual prison scene with, like, the monster being chained up by something that specifically hinders him, because he's so weak, so the iron's actually hindering him and, like, burning his wrists. Because it was, like, burning and irritating his wrists, it reminded me of, again, Vampire Diaries, whenever they get, like, tied up with vervain ropes or, like, vervain cuffs, um, because it weakens them and they can't actually, like, use their strength to break out, which same august can't can't do that here and i don't know why but like something about like being tied up obviously podcast listeners can't see this but i'm like holding my hands up and across above my head um being tied up like this reminds me of the witcher for some reason i can't pinpoint why but i just imagine Geralt being tied up like that a couple of times in his life some may be positive some definitely negative who knows honestly um (laughs) and then the idea of like the fact that sloan can like press a button and the chains start moving up and down reminded me of a couple of things kim possible because i feel like dragon like or whatever his name was the green guy uh 
or blue guy actually <laughs> she goes the green lady um but he he has some situations where he like binds people in chains like moves them up and down upon like <laughs> lava situations they do that in austin powers as well where you can like move people up and down with like mechanical chains so it was re- the actual movement of the chains reminded me of of those situations um, but it also reminded me of the slaughterhouse in Shatter Me, where Warner ties up Adam. That happens in the first book, right? Uh, I don't yeah. remember, honestly. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. <laughs> so, like, so basically what happens in, in the first, I'm pretty sure it's the first book, Like, Juliet and Adam try to, like, sneak into this village when they run away. And then, um, it may actually be in the second book. Um, Yeah, I don't think it's in the first book. But I thought it... No, they run away in the first book. They run away in the first book. It has to be in the first book because I don't remember this. I remember them running away. I remember... It's when Juliet realizes her super strength as well as her poisonous touch. So, basically, Warner, like, captures Adam and, like, hangs him up in this slaughterhouse, like, by his hands and is torturing him. And Juliet, uh, finds him (laughs) and is, uh, very angry and she, like, punches a hole in a wall. But, like, Hmm. destroys an entire wall with her super strength that she didn't know she had and that's how they find out that she has super strength. Um, but the way that, like, Warner had tied Adam up reminds me of it. They, they may not talk about it as much in Shatter Me. They may talk about it more in Destroy Me, which is the novella that follows the first book. It has to be that, I would think, because I don't remember it. But it's also been a while since I've done a reread, <laughs> so. And the first book is definitely not what you reread if you do a reread. No, it's, it's not, not good. at all. <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't, some... The slaughterhouse vibe with, like, the chains okay. reminded yeah. me of that. Um, and then, I just didn't, again, like, Sloane, <laughs> when he's torturing August, he's the epitome of every spy villain ever. James Bond, Austin Powers, Kim Possible. These are the spy movies that I, wa- or spy things that I watch. Um, <laughs> but, like... He's giving his whole plan away to August for free because he thinks he'll get August to turn and then it won't matter. And it's like, you dum-dum. You don't tell your plan. That makes you a bad villain. Come on. Get it together. (laughs) Uh, The Harry and Ron and Hermione thing in Deathly Hollows we already talked about. This last one's really dumb. I must have been really tired. But, like, when Kate's trying to, like, figure out, like, if there's a weak spot in the scaffolding pipes to, like, get her cuffs off and is, like, trying to figure it out and, like, move her stuff all around, it reminded me of this puzzle that you had to solve in uh, the Freddy the Fish game with the the ghost, the schoolyard ghost for the fish. Oh, God. Okay. Did you ever play Freddy the Fish? I don't think so. Pajama Sam? I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, that makes sense. You grew up in Germany for what your formidable <laughs> tiny years. It, it makes sense that you probably well, we played, didn't. We these. played 
the the computer games for school, but these weren't we school played... computer games. These were home oh. computer games. Oh no, we did those too. Um, like oh. I don't remember what it was called. It was like the little Zoom guys or Zoomies or whatever they were. The the little monster guys. And then there was one where you were like were at a like camp and you had to do all, all these like different activities on the camp. And then there was like the math one. I don't know. Oh, like Reader Rabbit and like Clue Masters and that kind of stuff? Yeah. 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 But those were school-based ones. Like you had like puzzles that like, um, like you had to make sure you could recognize patterns. You had to make sure that you could do basic math, that you could do like shapes and how those correlated with one another. Literature things. Like those are actual school-related games. The ones I'm talking about are like pure games for children. Like... I played them. There were puzzles that you had to solve, but it wasn't, like, learning how to do anything. It was basic logic, but more like a hidden object kind of a game than, like, mm-hmm. an actual learning school game, okay. if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, so there's this game I played growing up called Freddy the Fish. There were, I think, two or three Freddy the Fish games, but this one was, like, Freddy the Fish and the School Ghost or something. And there was this... Fish thing pretending to be a ghost that was scaring all the kids away from the underwater school. Um, and Freddy and his sidekick, her sidekick, I'm sorry, Freddy's a girl. Freddy and her sidekick had to figure out who the ghost was and they had to like go to all these different parts of their underwater community and like solve all these puzzles. And there were multiple times that you had these underwater pipes that were, like, springing leaks. And so you had to, like, find the weak parts in the pipes and figure out how to, like, patch them and, like, get it all to work properly. And so Kate, like, trying to find the weak parts in the pipes to escape reminded me of that. Okay. Whatever works. I don't know, Julia. I was tired when I read these. And I miss yeah. being a kid sometimes, you know? I do too. I think um, we should figure out a way to play, like, Clue Masters or whatever that game was called when we're in Toronto together. We'll drink wine and try to see if we can answer fifth grade questions <laughs> after I'm down. A couple glasses of wine. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Amazing. Um, But yeah. That's all I had for pop culture. I had one non like media kind of pop culture related one, mainstream thing. Uh, okay. Just a regular reference. Uh, when I was reading, I remember this so vividly when I was reading the part where uh, Sloan is talking and like asking August a question and August realizes he can't answer. I thought of the dentist. <laughs> When the dentist is, like, talking to you and, like, they're asking you questions and stuff and your mouth is open while they have stuff sticking in it and, like, poking around and whatever and like, you're like, what am I supposed to do? I can't answer you. <laughs> so you, like, grunt. You're like, uh, uh. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> you, like, can't move your, your head either. So <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You're not wrong. You are yeah. not. You are not wrong. Oh, oh my god. Um, should we do? Should we do MVPs? Yes. Yes. 
It's your I'm turn. I'm interested to hear yours. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it's your turn first. I went last week. I am going to give mine to Kate because I don't know what's going on with that necklace, but I like that she basically wakes up out of this, like, unconscious state and is like, okay, let's get to work. As you said, like, just keep moving forward one step from the other. Like, she's like, okay, I can't get out of the scaffolding. Let me look at this this screw. Can I unscrew it with my necklace? What is going on inside that girl's head? <laughs> I don't she's know. Thinking, she's but... like, she wants to solve the problem. She wants to figure out what's going on. She yeah. wants to find the solution. And her immediate thought is not herself in danger, but that August is in danger. Let me go help him. So I'm giving it to her. I support that. Great choice. <laughs> I, of course, have to give it to August. <laughs> Uh, Sorry. Because <laughs> there are not any other viable options no. No. in this chapter. Chapters. Maybe the, the necklace if you wanted to go with a uh, non-person. I've never gone to the level of, like, picking something that's non-sentient. Um, I'm not <laughs> ready to do that yet. I'm good with August because, I mean, I think August, and this is probably similar to what I said when I picked him last week, he is exhibiting inhuman amounts of restraint and willpower in what he's doing. Like, he tells Kate to run when he's about to lose control. He's starving, losing his mind, starving. And she just served herself up on a fresh platter. And he still has the wherewithal to tell her to run and escape. And putting her needs above his own and then he's resisting torture he's resisting like all of this fear and anxiety and like stuff that's just getting thrown at him and Sloane's like it'll be easier if you turn it'll be easier if you turn and August is like no I refuse to give you what you want you tried to hurt my friend I'm going to continue to be brave I'm going to hold on to every last ounce of willpower that I have and I'm going to do the right thing. And, like, that's admirable. Granted, most of these chapters, he's just getting shit on and beaten up and, like, torn down. But he is holding himself to a high standard throughout all of that. And that's, you know, like, in his situation, that's all we can ask him to do. And that's could have been a lot worse if he just, like, snapped and ate Kate. So, MVP for not eating Kate. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's also exactly what we picked last week. <laughs> you picked Kate, I picked August. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, what about your wine rating, Julia? All right, this week I decided to go with a wine cocktail, uh, one martini in particular. It's called a Bone Dry Martini. Uh, This is from Kettle Black Bars. A martini is made using either gin or vodka with the addition of vermouth, a fortified wine which has a low alcohol content. Removing the vermouth from this mix makes this drink bone dry and possibly one of the most alcoholic drinks you can get, as it's made with 100% alcohol. (laughs) I felt like we needed some alcohol. 
Um, so either if you want the vermouth in the martini or if you want to make it bone dry, whatever tickles your fancy. Uh, maybe uh, August would want the vermouth and maybe Kate would want it dry. <laughs> uh, but I would say it's a 7 out of 10 uh, uh, martini uh, because I just like it's uh, there are three very action-packed chapters like you want to drink the alcohol to get through it otherwise not a whole lot going on it's fair yeah how about you what's your whining rating i'm gonna go on the lower end i'm gonna say four out of ten um because again like clearly august is having some angst issues (laughs) and kate also kind of to an extent like dealing with like the murder and everything all this stuff but everything that they're going through is very justified like, it's okay to take a second to process when you've just murdered a man by shooting him in the neck and then watching him slowly bleed out and his life fade away. It's okay to feel some things after that. I'd be concerned if she didn't. And <laughs> August is being, like, very, very brave in everything that he's doing. Obviously, he's struggling. And, like, when we hear those moments of his inner monologue, mm. we can see that he's struggling. We can see the, like uncertainty and fear and angst in his mannerisms but he's pushing through it as best as he possibly can and that's all we can really ask of him in this moment so I think because of the way they're handling their fears and their anxieties and their angst um on the lower end of the spectrum is is probably better even though it's clearly present in these chapters I think on the lower end is better so four out of ten yeah I think that's that sounds right yeah uh well that's it do you have any last thoughts about these chapters julia no i'm excited to continue reading (laughs) i would like some answers probably won't get them in the next couple chapters (laughs) probably won't get them to the very very end uh but we'll see we'll see um yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens next i don't know but people should stay tuned by following us on social media when we post and just to talk to us about things you can follow us on instagram and facebook at unnecessary angst pod and on twitter at unangst pod and you can also email us uh to let us know you're listening or to just talk about the books that we're reading have read we'll maybe read in the future we just like to talk about books so you can email us at unnecessary at gmail.com if you want to have any more in-depth discussions that are not suitable to Instagram DMs. <laughs> uh, and we will we will definitely get back to you. Um, but with that, we are going to go to bed. And hope everyone else has a good night and a good rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.